How are we all this morning? Good? Thanks, worship team. This morning we're, we're coming together. We're in our, um, our second week of our values series. What we're doing is we're, we're in a values series and we're heading towards the 1st of May. And on the 1st of May, what we want to do is we want to make a, a big deal about the fact that we've changed our name uh, and, and, and we want to be better known in the community of Chelsea and, and in the surrounding areas. But more than just kind of being visually known, you know, a, a visual presence in the area, we want to be effective too. We want to be effective for the gospel uh, in, in this area. We want to be not just visually known, but known uh, for just bringing a, good, a message of good news, uh, salvation and transformation that flows out of being in a relationship with Jesus. That's, that's our go. That's, that's what we want to do. We want to be an active, uh, vibrant church. Did you know this? Just this like little trivia moment. You can bring this up at parties later on if you game. Um, there are over 96 images of the church in the New Testament. You know, salt and light and uh, we're a bride and we're a body. Uh, we're, we're the people of God. We're the, the house of the Lord. These, these images and these kind of, these images are not still pictures. They're moving, dynamic kind of video, more like videos, if you like, of a church that's living out, that's effective, living out its witness uh, in its surrounding area. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about that Jesus said no less in, in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16 where he's talking to Peter and saying to him that this this understanding that Peter has gained that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, that this understanding is a supernatural understanding that God has given to him, drawn him into, and it's on this understanding and this knowledge and this supernatural work of God that Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail. You know, we, we read that in chapter 16. Often, I think in our heads, we, we, we kind of envisage the gates of hell marching towards you know, the church and attacking it. But really what Jesus is saying is that the church and its gospel message is on the march and pushing down the defences and the strongholds and the organised, broken system of rebellion that is in the world. Yeah? Dynamic, active in the world. Matthew 16, Jesus actually speaking a new covenant into being there, a church, a group of people who come and form themselves around a common understanding of who he is and what he's done in the world. <clears throat> we want to be effective. We want to be effective in discipling, in helping people discover a new way to live, a new way to live in Christ. That's why our little motto is a new way to live. And not in a way where it's you know just an event where we get we save people we get them over the line and then, but in a way where we're journeying with them and partnering with them a community drawn together in Christ bearing with one another uh, lifting each other and spurring each other along maturing each other with in our relationships with God for our joy and ultimately for the glory of God. That's what we want to do. That's 
what we're on about. So what we're doing is we're looking at some values that underpin this, that help us move towards this reality. And last week, if you were here, we looked at being a church that is biblically faithful. You know, that, that's how we roll. We live faithfully to the Bible. As we see, and we see the Bible as the self-authenticating divine revelation from God. And as Paul wrote to Timothy, that its origin is divine. Its origin is, is you know, the, breathed by God and therefore we can trust it. Depend on it. Be obedient to it and have confidence in it that, 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 that obedience to it and practicing it leads to human flourishing and relationship with God that is effective in the world. That's a value that informs how Freeway does stuff. We're biblically faithful. So when we're faced with social and ethical and relational questions, things like that, we go, well, okay, what's the Bible say about this? That's what being biblically faithful is. It's a value we have. This week we're looking at uh, community in Christ. Now, I was, I was going to kind of just pause and mention these kind of blank um, pine boards that are here that would have been driving kind of type A people crazy because they're not finished and they're just blank and just sort of say, if there's anyone out there, what we want to do, last week I, I showed you a little values board that Sandy uh, purchased for our new kitchen. But what we want to do is we want to make a values board for here. So... Um, I'm just going to leave them there until somebody responded, but we already have someone who's, who's done that. So scratch that announcement and uh, everybody thank Gemma for her, her creative input that's going to come to life over the, over the next uh, few weeks, I hope. Just kind of a bit of pressure there, Gem. Didn't mean to throw you under the bus then, but I don't know why I did that. Okay, community in Christ. That's, um, that's what we're, we're looking at this week. I'll tell you what else I'd love. Love someone who is uh, kind of tech savvy in putting together images. I don't know. Images are hard to find to, to make PowerPoints with. So if you're one of those people that loves doing just stuff like that, let me know. You save me about 80 weeks, 80 hours in the week. All right. Uh, community in Christ. Often when people speak about the Christian life, they speak about how it's a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's what we say. We're in a... We're not religious. We're not moral conformity. We're in a personal relationship with Jesus. This is not about religion or, or, or things like that. This is relational. And, and, and this is a great description. And it's a true description. But the phrase personal relationship with Jesus isn't the full description of what and who we are. It's a phrase, while accurate, that could give the idea that, that the Christian life is a private life. You know, that it can be lived by ourselves in, in isolation. Just between us and God. And while your faith is indeed a private matter, it is also a community, a community matter. God's design for believers is to be deeply connected in community with other followers of Christ. We are being saved individually into a community. While we're individually saved, we're saved into a community. A church, we call it. That's what we are. And it's often described by Paul in, in the New Testament as a body. The body of Christ. We see that in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians and Colossians. It's, it's one of those images that Paul uses to paint a picture 
to present the nature of the church. Different members coming together to, to form a whole. Paul, so, Paul also states that this body that gathers together has one head, one sovereign, and that is Christ. It's a way of saying that Jesus is the controlling kind of governance, the controlling king, uh, the one in whom we all uh, gather together and under. That's the image. The consistent and universal picture we get from the New Testament is that God is calling and saving a people in Christ to be part of a new creation, the church, under the lordship of Christ in relationship with Jesus. This is a community that is both formed by Jesus and sustained in Jesus. This is a community whose common experience of Christ results in something the New Testament calls fellowship, a word that's used very loosely. This fellowship exists only between those who are in Christ. And, 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 finds them, and these people find themselves united in deep relationships with each other and God. It's a spiritual, relational reality that is brought into effect by the Holy Spirit and distinguishes and sets apart the Christian community from every other community. Fellowship, a deep relational experience that we have in Christ. That Christ both forms and sustains our community is a deeply held value here at Freeway. Without the presence and work of Jesus amongst us, what, what Beck was talking to this morning, uh, for our salvation and our transformation, we simply can't function as a church. We're just another self-help group. We may as well get Oprah in here. We are a community in Christ, though. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, lets them know that even though they're a church that's blessed, this church is kitted right up with, with spiritual gifts, with skills and, and smart people, gifted in all kinds of things, but he's, he, kind of, he says, do you know the one key resource that you have is, is not so much your giftedness, but the one key resource that you need for spiritual growth and transformation is Jesus Christ. He is the one who unites us in fellowship with God and each other, not these other little things. We are a particular community of people with a common experience in Christ. That's us. And as we go along in this series now, as we're going to look at some of the symptoms that, that, that come out of this community, out of this community in Christ. But today we're looking at community in Christ. The idea of community actually begins with God. It's not a human phenomenon or a human concept. It's not a result of so-called evolutionary process. It's fundamental to humanity because we are created in the image of a God who exists in community. The constant picture we get from the Bible is that God is a trinity, a Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's out of that divine community that flows the design for humans to be involved in community, even the church. Even though the church looks like it arises out of human history, it is actually 
designed by God in eternity past. As we read the first few chapters of Genesis, we see this beautiful picture of how community begins. God makes an observation as he creates man. He says, you know, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. Here is something that we all know and feel. It's universal to our experience. It's not good to be alone. It's not a good thing to isolate. We fail to flourish when we're alone. But we can thrive when we're in community. And that's not because, as I said, you know, over millions of years uh, of evolutionary process, the only humans to survive were ones with a, you know, the biomic biological chemistry that that encourages packs and and gatherings. No, what we see here is right out of the gate, God created us to be relational, to experience deep and meaningful relationships with God and each other. The picture that we are given here of the relational community, the foundation of it is marriage, a husband and a wife in relationship with God. And out of this... All other relationships, all community, all society, everything is to spring and come from. Listen to how it's described in Genesis 2.25. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. It was an environment that knew no shame. That is, it was open and honest. It was fully trusting knowing that all partners were for the good and the well-being of others. There was no need for us to kind of, kind of cover ourselves, to hide ourselves, because no one in this created environment is seeking to kind of suck their meaning out of the other, to gain some kind of meaning out of the other person, to fill up some deficit, because we are full, because we are in a relationship with God. And out of that relationship, we resource... Our, our human relationships. It's, it's good. It's a great picture. That's how God designed community to operate. In self-giving. And in worship. And we miss it. We long for it. We, we, we long for no shame. We long to be able to be authentic with each other. We long to be able to to share our hearts, fears and insecurities and know that they're not going to be weaponized and used against us. But most of all, our songs long for for God, for something that can bear the weight of our worship and our deep longings. As Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Tragically, what we see is, in Genesis 3, how our rebellion against God's word, and we looked at that last week, how our our rebellion against God's word fractured community. Community with him and community with each other. And out of this kind of um, multifaceted disarray and, and disruption to creation that sin has kind of caused in everything... Community with God and with each other is the first visible thing to suffer. 
Rather than longing for God and confidently entering into His presence, what we see here is that we fear God and we hide. Rather than mutual serving, there is mutual distrust and estrangement between each other, which is graphically depicted with the words, they knew they were naked. They now see each other. Humanity now sees each other through, through, through selfish eyes rather than selfless eyes. Humanity now sees each other through, through lust rather than love. It's, it's, it's all changed. The relational dynamics. Sin has corrupted relationships. Cosmically, spiritually, everything. Now we have shame and distrust between Adam and Eve and between them and God. And more is to come. The resulting judgment of God towards sin is to cast Adam and Eve out of Eden, out of the intimate presence of God, where eternal life is found. You see, sinful humanity can have no fellowship with a holy God. We read in Genesis 3 that he drove them out to the east, banishing them. Rather than a picture of community, we have a picture of exile, a picture of being banished and scattered. And this is now the new corrupted relational rhythm. Sin pushes us apart. It causes divisions and segregation and separation. From Genesis 4, we read the story of humanity that is consistently in relational upheaval with God and each other. And as we read those first chapters of Genesis, we see in the space of, if you, if you kind of take the timeline, the genealogical timeline there, literally, no reason why not to, you've got about a thousand years between the fall and when God is grieved that he even made humanity. We've become so dysfunctional, so self-destructive and abusive towards each other and God that God executes his just judgment on a completely degenerate society. And humanity is literally washed away in a great flood. All but one family, Noah's family, with whom God will bring a new way to establish relationships called covenant. Covenant is God's response, God's new... uh, initiative, if you like, to the discord in the world, in humanity. A covenant at a basic level is a relational agreement between two parties and can happen between a husband and wife, it can happen between businesses, it can happen between countries who want to, who want to form a treaty. When the Bible speaks of God's covenant with his people, it is explaining how our relationship with God is made by his provision and exists in his grace there's not really enough scope to deal with all that is in the topic of covenant not unless you want to be here for like until wednesday um probably not because the cleaners are in on monday but it will suffice to say that covenant is a means through which god enters into relationship with his people through a, a solemn commitment Guaranteeing his promises, his faithfulness to us, and outlining our responsibilities back. Culturally, in the day when these covenants were being made, they were often entered into through sacrifice, through, 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 through the spilling of animal blood. 
a blood-bound agreement. This is how God enters into covenant with man, is a sacrificing of animals and blood is spilt. This is how he establishes his covenant with his people. The Hebrew idiom for establishing a covenant was to, to cut a covenant due to the sacrificial nature of their establishment. We now have the phrase, you know, to cut a deal. Yeah? It's kind of interesting to me how many of our colloquial sayings actually have their origin in something from the Bible. I, these days when we cut a deal, I doubt too many animals are sacrificed and that probably more our convictions and our that go on the altar. But at the heart of covenantal promise is this this promise of God. I will be your God and you will be my people. God is the initiator who seeks to be in relationship with us and seeks to create a community based in his design. He sets out ways of living together with him and with each other, that we might enjoy his blessing, that we might re-establish deep relationships rather than continue in, in, our, in our flight from God, in our exile from God, and our scattering and our estrangement with each other. This is what God is doing. God commands his people to keep covenant through love and obedience. The law and the entire worship system of Israel that, that we read about as, as the Old Testament goes along is tied up in covenant. It's, it's all tied up in this concept. Both spiritual and material blessings and curse came according to God's according to how God's people lived in covenant, whether they were faithful or unfaithful. Two certainties emerge out of covenantal history. The first is this, the character of God is revealed. God's covenant with us became known as the Hesed of God, little Hebrew word, and it means God's loving kindness. And it takes in the consistent, ever-faithful, relentless, constantly pursuing, lavish, extravagant, unrestrained, one-way love of God. Hesed is often translated as love or loving-kindness, mercy, steadfast love, loyal love, devotion, commitment or reliability as it tries to kind of to take in the way that God commits to staying in relationship with us. That's the picture that comes out of God's covenanting with his people as the Old Testament journeys along. The other picture that we get out of this is the fallen and estranged, estranged condition of humanity. That it's incapable of being faithful to God. Always falling out of relationship, faithfulness with Him. This is described by the prophets as adulterous behavior. The breaking of relationships. Even with God's gracious provision of covenant, we are prone to relational destruction and abuse. We are still prone, our hearts are still prone to wandering from God. Something greater is needed. There are five major 
covenants coming into a moment. There's several covenants, but there's five major covenantal moments in the Bible. As God came back to the table in faithfulness and humanity kept kind of pushing away from the table, if you like, in, in unfaithfulness. But God kept coming back and saying, oh, I'm going to keep my promise. I'm going to reestablish it. The first one is with Noah after the flood. There in Genesis 6. And then what we have is, is, is God makes a covenant with Abraham. And, and, and then with Moses. And, and then with David. And remember when we did Matthew's Gospel, as, as, as we started Matthew's Gospel, Matthew began with uh, telling us that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David. Yeah? The son of the covenant promise. Everything finding its completion in Jesus. See how this story is it's just one big narrative that is all centered in Christ and points to Him. Now, for those of you who are observers, observant, you're the guys who notice the blank um, boards, you will also notice that there's only four covenants up on the board. There's a final covenant that we find in the Bible. And that is the new covenant of Jesus and the church. We read, as we talked about earlier in Matthew 16 of Jesus, speaking this into reality, I will build my church. Yeah, In Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel, as uh, Jesus institutes uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, he talks about it in covenantal terms. This is the new covenant. Grace. Not works, not, not repetitive sacrifice. Grace found in me. Jesus. In Jesus Christ, God is bringing people back into community, not based in our efforts to maintain a law or worship systems, not based in our attempts at behavioral reform or, or, or morality, you know, not based in our self-loathing or our penitence, but based exclusively and solely in Jesus' sacrificial work on a cross. Paul says... In our passage today in Ephesians 2, he says that this is grace to us and establishes faith in us. Jesus has cut a new deal, if you like. And it's forged from unconditional grace and it results in faith. Grace in which we come into relationship with God and each other through Jesus perfect standing before God and sin-atoning death. As the writer of Hebrews tells us, Jesus has mediated a new and better covenant with God. It's always been the plan of God to rescue and redeem a community of people through Jesus. John Stott says this as he, as he kind of looks at it all. He says the church that forms out of this covenant mediation is not an afterthought thought is not merely an expression of human history, if you like. Not an accidental act of history, but on the contrary, the church is a new community of God purposed in eternity past. If you were to sit in eternity past with the triune God and listen into their conversations, they would have been talking about a community of people based in Christ, even before the foundations of the earth. 
And as we read this morning in our reading from Ephesians, a community of people who were once dead in sin, slaves to the inner inkling towards evil, alienated from God, relating to each other through selfish desire, are now made alive in Christ. In Christ, all that relational dysfunction is redeemed and made good. God, who is ever faithful to his promise, is rich in mercy, enduring in love, has made us alive together in Christ. It's Christ that brings us together in a new way to live. It is by grace that we are redeemed and saved from the effects of sin. And through Jesus that we are brought back into relationship with God. It is through faith in Jesus that we are in good standing with God. In this chapter of Ephesians, Paul just piles on, one after the other, the, 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 the symptoms of the work of Christ have in a community based in him. Uh, we sang that song, what was it? Um, the, uh, the wonder of your love. Uh, the, the power of your touch, it breaks the chains that bind us. The things that, these chains actually held us apart. These chains actually made us kind of enemies with each other. Christ comes and breaks those and brings us together in fellowship where we're not actually kind of trying to gain from each other. We're serving and giving. He, he piles up the things that Christ has done. He, taking those who are without hope and saving them. Taking those who, are, who were far from God, who were banished from his intimate blessing. He's talking about the Gentiles here. That's us. Banished from his blessing and drawing us near to him, back into a relationship with him that we were excluded from. Raising us up from our earthly passions of... Just, Pursuing earthly things and, and placing us in fellowship with the risen Jesus. And all of this, the kindness of God towards us in Jesus, not our doing, but the grace of God. Through Jesus, we receive the gift of God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. The word is poetry, you know. It's a beautiful verse in the Bible. We are, we are God's poem. He's creating. He's writing a story into our lives that is new. We are God's workmanship. He's ongoing activity in our lives. That is to say that just as God made humanity in the first place to be in deep relationship with Him, now in Jesus there is a new divine act of creation within us. God's workmanship, God's poetry within us that is now bringing us all together, redeeming us, new creatures who are in Christ. This, this phrase, in Christ, appears here for the third time in just five verses. And it's Paul's way of describing a Christian, someone who, who, who in faith, is in union with Jesus, in an intimate relationship with Jesus. They are people whose lives were previously ruined and marred by sin that caused all manner of relational and spiritual death and now they are alive in Christ. And Paul says uh, in elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, you know, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
Jesus has created a new humanity, a completely new humanity of redeemed people. One that experiences peace in Christ, we read on. Our restless hearts now taste again what it is to have fellowship with God. You you know, this idea of fellowship with God does not appear in the Bible until the coming of the Spirit in Acts. This This understanding of deep intimacy with God is not spoken of in the Bible anywhere until Pentecost. Until we're brought back into relationship with God. It it didn't exist. It it was lost. Our hearts now taste what it is to have fellowship with God. The hostility and relational discord has been broken down as Jesus reconciles us to God. But not just with God, but with each other. This is a new humanity in which Jesus unites those who, who used to live on the different sides of the track, you know, Jew and Gentile who once treated each other as enemies, he now makes people who had divisions, fellow citizens, members of the same community. This is what the work of Christ does. This is why we're a Christ-based community. This is a people gathered, no longer scattered, no longer repelled by petty differences. This is a people, a community based in one uniting experience of grace in Jesus. That's why no one is running up here on the stage to take Beck's microphone. Because we all know we experience the same grace, the same love of God in our lives that fills up these cracks uh, in us. It is actually quite an image in the New Testament, this idea of a pot with cracks. The church is the locus of God's new covenant. Christ is the centre of this community where this covenant is being affected and worked out. It is Jesus that brings us together. Look around this room. How many, how many of these people that are, you're sitting in here with deep relate? would you actually kind of know if it wasn't for the fact that you know Christ and they know Christ and he brings us together? And no matter where we came from, no matter what our background is, whether we were Labour voters or Liberal voters, whether we're like Carlton supporters or Collingwood supporters, no matter what it is, we have this common unity, something beautiful, and it's in Christ. I don't know if you've ever kind of walked into a situation, you're having a conversation with someone, and you just kind of think to yourself, I bet this person's a Christian. You just kind of know something. And the conversation goes on, and later on you find out they are. Community in Christ, unity in Christ. Something deep, something supernatural. Oh, what slide am I up to? (laughs) All right, here we go. Probably. bit smashed for time. So what we'll do is we'll... Two more points to go, okay? We've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but community sustained in Christ. We saw in verse 10, you know, that God is at work in us through Jesus to sustain us in faith. 
if we read on in this uh, epistle of Ephesians, what we see is it's Christ who, who sustains us, who enables us. It, it's, it's Christ who gives us the capacity to come together through His Holy Spirit and live in deep and meaningful relationships with God and with each other. Ephesians 3 tells us that Christ is dwelling in our hearts through faith, grounds us in love and enables us and strengthens us to comprehend the work of God in Christ, in us, with all the saints. It's something we do in community with each other and we are strengthened through Christ. God sustains us in this. We'll actually probably flesh this out more over the next coming weeks as we look at uh, some of the symptoms of being in Christ. But a community of Christ is sustained in Christ. And, and the other thing about this is, is that this community that we experience, even though Christ works here and, and um, we operate differently, we are not perfected and we still manage to wound each other and we'll still do dumb things toward each other. But because of the grace, rather than being pushed away from the table, we keep coming back together. But here's the thing. One day, Christ has promised that this community that is in Him will be perfected. And we get a picture of that in Revelation 21, where John sees this vision of God coming down and dwelling amongst His people. And he hears this phrase, I will be their God and they will be my people. And this is how it's going to be forever. I'm no longer distant. I am in the midst of my people. Dwelling amongst them. We're once again intimate. That's where we're heading. This community in Christ. We will once again experience Eden. We will once again experience what God designed. Deep, intimate fellowship with Him and and each other. And there's this description of it that's often rolled out at funerals. That God will wipe away every tear. There will be no more death. Neither shall there be mourning. No more crying, no more pain, no more broken relationships, no no more severed by death, no more more divorce, no, no more anything that fractures and breaks relationship. This relational discord is completely wiped away and at the center of this picture, the overarching dominant person in the book of Revelation is Jesus. The Lamb of God, he's described as the one who sacrificed himself to make this all happen and to make this all possible. Community in Christ has been the plan of God from eternity past. And we're all here as evidence of his faithfulness to that promise and his goodness towards us. This is only possible because Christ unites us. And that is a deeply held value here at Freeway. It allows us to sit in the same room, to sit around the same table and to still have differences, but not to to push away from the table, but to come back to the table in grace and love. Where we know we're for each other, not against each other. Because we understand we don't want to steal a mic because we know we need the same grace that everybody else needs. Well, this morning, as we wrap up, we are going to participate in this meal. Steve, I might get you to come up and deal with the table just in case I'm kind of like some kind of crazy infectious being now. 
We're going to participate in this memorial meal that Jesus instituted in, in Matthew. In all the Gospels, actually, but in Matthew and Luke, he talks about it in covenantal terms. And he commands us to, to come together regularly in remembrance of him. And he's establishing of the new covenant, covenant of grace. A covenant that was mediated through his blood, his sacrifice, his perfect life, that qualified him to represent us before God and take away our guilt and our shame, take our just punishment for ruining the relational harmony of the universe and to bring us back into fellowship with God. Bring us back around the table of God. As I said, Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 26 and in Luke 22 record, record this in covenantal terms. This is a new covenant that Jesus has made possible. In our Ephesians passage... Paul used three metaphors in verses 19 to 22, saying that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but rather those who are in Christ are fellow citizens. No matter our backgrounds, Christ unites us in deep relationships, and these deep relationships come around this table. The first two metaphors show us with increasing intimacy the new relational reality that Christ establishes amongst us. We are God's people, is the image. We have a place in his kingdom, yeah? A permanent place in his kingdom. That's what Christ has done. The second image is even more intimate. We are his household. We have a place around his table, back in fellowship. The work of Christ breaks down the barriers that separate us and unites warring hearts, differing hearts in profound ways. This is a table of reconciliation. This is a table that represents how Christ reconciles sinners back together and with God. The third metaphor is of the holy temple. The temple of God was where God's presence manifest itself. The temple was where God lived amongst his people and met with them and indicated his care for them and our preciousness to him. Now Christ, now in Christ, sorry, the Holy Spirit makes each one of us a dwelling place of God and then unites us into a spiritual building. No actual building needed. We are the people of God the new humanity, the new community, a spiritual building, who live under a new law of love, who live towards each other out of a new experience of grace. This table reminds us of what God has done for us in Christ and how we live together as his people. It is a table for those who are in Christ. Christ. 